Hello and welcome to the Tradecast. Uh, my name is John Bakey, I'm Head of Digital for uh, the Trade and I'm joined today by our editor, Joe McGrath, uh, staff writer Hayley Medell and uh, Connor Goodry, who is interning with us over the summer. Uh, hi there guys, how are you? Good Very well, thanks John. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Um, so I'm just going to start up with a quick news roundup and then we can uh, have a look at some of the big issues uh, of recent weeks. So, uh, to start off, uh, the SEC is introducing new rules uh, for brokers uh, in the United States where they will have to reveal where they sent client orders. Now, oddly, in the industry, this has never been a requirement. can't really think why. A client would not be able to know what's happened to their order, but there we go. Um, but yes, finally, the SEC is stepping in here and uh, ensuring that clients can get all the data and information they actually need. We're also seeing a uh, trading management shakeup at Schroeder's, which sees Rob McGraw, the head of trading over in uh, New York, will be leaving the firm. And um, he oversaw teams in fixed income, FX, and equities. Um, we've also seen Nick Robinson, who headed their fixed income trading team, uh, will be leaving. Um, and the FX trading team as a fixed income will be combining into a single global team under the leadership of Robbie. Bukhufein. I can't even think how that might be pronounced, but there we go. <laughs> um, and then JP Morgan's market business uh, has actually done pretty well as a result of fixed income. Hayley, I believe you wrote this one. What What's going on with JPM? Yeah, so JP Morgan released their uh, second quarter results yesterday, and um, they did much better than sort of initially expected. Um, their markets business. Um, did sort of come back with uh, revenues up, and this was mainly down to fixed income, which um, increased massively. Um, and I believe as well that the share price came back uh, larger than expected. So, yeah, good second quarter for JP Morgan. Excellent. Um, and that's that for uh, for the news this week. So, um, one of the big popular stories of recent days, surprise popular story, I guess, uh, was about was about clocks. <laughs> it's, I think it's something interesting to <laughs> buy side traders because it affects their sort of day-to-day uh, business. But basically the story is that the uh, US Securities Exchange Commission has uh, reduced the uh, clock synchronization standard from one second to 50 milliseconds. Um, and basically it was FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, um, who initially proposed the idea in April and uh, their thoughts behind it are obviously that you know the speed of trading is increasing, um, and you know it's it's very automated markets these mm. days. Um, and also, I think the SEC are looking to um, stamp out spoofing, um, which obviously you know has been a, a major sort of issue. We saw that first arrest this week in the US. Oh, not arrest, sorry, the first prosecution, didn't we? Yeah, the, yeah, the guy who. Uh, who I think he got three years in prison, was it? And, and two years suspended after that, or yeah. supervisory order, or whatever it was. Um, but I think it, it sort of underlines what you're saying about, you know, just how serious the authorities and, and regulators are taking it now. Yeah, and I think, especially this week, we've seen a few, um, and last week we've seen uh, people being jailed, particularly LIBOR has been coming up again this week, uh, a lot of sort of, you know, jail time. Um Regulators are taking market manipulation, market abuse, spoofing. They're taking it very seriously now. Mm. Um, and I think we, you know, if you, you check the news and look at all the uh, cases, prosecutions, um, 
you know, there is sort of a, an individual responsibility now for, for traders. Yeah, I, I think it's worth remembering as well, this, this is essentially sort of mirroring uh, what's been happening in, in MIFID 2 with... Um, you know, much tighter clock uh, clock synchronization rules, um, which you know really come down incredibly hard on the original MIFID draft. Um, I think, as we said in the podcast some weeks ago, uh, the the timestamp requirements were so high that uh, uh, not even the Large Hadron Collider was capable of <laughs> measuring time quite so accurately. So um, it was it was scaled back, but it's still you know really really very onerous. Does this, does this mean there's scope for yet more clock stories on the trade news then? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You hear that, Hayley? I will be keeping an eye out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, thanks for that. Now, Joe, we've got um, a celebration coming up in the next few months. Of, well, uh, we have, hopefully. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not going to be a celebration of those people who've been spoofing the market, that's for sure. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we've got our um, our annual scheme that we run, the Rising Stars of Trading and Execution. Um, and last year, for those who are not familiar with it, how could you not be, given the promotion that we gave? And it is a scheme that celebrates the buy side. And in particular, we're looking at buy-side traders under the age of 40. They could be working for uh, asset management firms, wealth management firms, hedge funds, uh, or you could be working on the buy-side in a support role uh, as long as you can quantify your role uh, in the the trading ecosystem, uh, for want of a better word. And what we're looking for is a demonstrate uh, a way that you can demonstrate how you um, have evolved uh, as, as a trader or as a trading uh, in a trading support role over the past year, um, and gone the extra mile. So gone beyond sort of checking in at uh, sort of seven and uh, and doing a day's work and then going home. What we're looking for are people who have added value to the business, who have added value to the clients. Um, perhaps you've been involved in um, sort of internal schemes on diversity or you've passed industry exams um, or you've helped colleagues in other divisions um, and you, you've gone some way to going beyond um, what is expected of you in your, your day job and you know, you, you're showing future promise of going, uh, going places in the organisation or, or in your career as a whole. Now we have um, already collected a number of nominees uh, from the interviews that we do with uh, buy and sell side uh, individuals throughout the year. So we've got quite a long, long list to begin with. Um, And I guess the big news this year is that it's not just European focus. We have um, a North American uh, list as well, which we're putting together. So there's 40 under 40 uh, in Europe and there's 40 uh, in North America for US and Canada as well. And to reflect that, there are going to be two events, one in October and one in November, one in London and one in New York. Uh, at which um, uh, at these events we will be presenting uh, the various uh, trophies uh, and lists uh, to people who have made uh, the shortlist for this year. So, uh, just to recap, we encourage people to email us with suggestions of people who they think are eligible to be rising stars um, and recognised for their work this year. And uh, we will be publishing that in the Q3 edition of The Trade and on thetradenews.com uh, in about three months' time. Okay, great. And uh, probably also worth just reminding everybody again, you do, I'm afraid, have to be aged under 40 for these uh, these particular awards. But we have our Leaders in Trading award ceremony for, for all you uh, veterans of the industry. So so please don't be uh, like uh, you're missing out on anything there. So We like old people too. Well, we do. We, we do, do yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, I guess, you know, one of the big issues that's... Uh, 
come about since our last podcast is, of course, Brexit and uh, some of the fallout that's uh, been going on around that. We've already seen uh, a lot of banks say they're thinking about moving their headquarters back to uh, the continent. Uh, JP Morgan said, I believe there could be up to, what, 3,000 job cuts? I think it might be more than that. Uh, I think maybe yeah, 4, JP Morgan have been criticised for, for how much they've piled into the Brexit debate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, there's considerable um, upheaval, potentially. But I suppose this is the biggest problem and and uh, one of the problems, I guess, for you know buy-side traders is that what we're going to see in the short term, at least, is just lots and lots of volatility. Um, and that's creating market uncertainty and that's going to you know send things uh, uh, you know potentially uh, send uh, share prices against people however that said there's been unprecedented liquidity in the market Hayley I think you've had a look at some of the stats and and numbers have been coming out of the exchanges. Yeah, that's right. I've been um, so I asked the LSE about their trading volumes um, and for the month of June they saw I believe it was a 38% increase in total trades um, and that was specifically linked to Brexit. Uh, the, the day of the result um, was particularly volatile. Um, market access, again, similar sort of thing. Trading volume sort of through the roof. Um, BATS, I believe, had a similar scenario. Um, so yeah, the, the volatility following Brexit is uh, you know, really sort of, you can see it in all of the, the trading data yeah. that's coming out now. Um, so, yeah. I think on, on the macro basis, we're starting to see more pronounced statements from, from CEOs and leaders now, which they, they sort of took their time to digest uh, the result. But I think you know, Larry Fink last, only last night was reported in the Wall Street Journal mm. um, as, as saying he thinks that a recession for the UK is almost inevitable now uh, as a result of this. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I suppose the slight light is that um, yesterday we saw... The, the new cabinet appointed um, and I've, I've even seen today that uh, David Davis is um, uh, already talking to the Canadians about their trade agreement with the EU as a potential model for the for the UK in the future so and we've got some good news because Boris is looking after foreign affairs now <laughs> so you know we've yes, got that to look the, forward the, to the popular Mr Johnson uh, in the Foreign Office um, I'm sure he'll make a good impression on, uh, on the European leaders uh, that he'll be negotiating with but um, it, you know, it does at least seem that um, things are moving rapidly, uh, and that might help to at least calm the markets. Um, particularly if it's sort of reasonably evident that uh, you know some sort of good single market access deal can be arranged. Um, you know, passporting is obviously crucial for the city, mm-hmm. um, and I'd imagine that will be a, one of the absolute top issues that uh, negotiators will, will, will want to get. So, you know, certainly it's been a funny few weeks uh, for everybody everybody here, everybody in the city that I've spoken to. But, you know, I think we've got to look on the, on the, on the positive side and, and, you know, the fact that there is some government stability. It didn't, you know, it wasn't a prolonged period of uncertainty on that front. And, uh, you know, David Davis has certainly uh, proved himself to be a, a fairly canny operator in the past. So I would hope that... Uh, that that means that you know he can get negotiating quickly and, and make some some good uh, some good deals, but we'll we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah, I think um, I think the positive signs are there, and as you say, it's good that the uh, the government has moved as quickly as it has done to to sort of restore some element of stability. Mm. Um, just going back to what you were saying about the jobs, I think uh, 
one of the areas which is only now getting uh, more sort of coverage is is looking at the impact on uh, on London's fintech community. Um, yeah. Because uh, originally all of the focus was on the banking jobs and the established jobs, but of course we've got uh, a global reputation for the strength of our fintech community here in London. Yeah, we do, and I suppose that kind of brings us nicely on to um, next week's event, which uh, I believe uh, yourself and Connor are going to be attending, Fintech Week. Uh, Connor, do you want to explain a little bit about what Fintech Week is? Yes, well, Fintech Week is just a huge conglomerate of financial technology that will gather together at the Grange Tower Bridge Hotel for eight days of panels, exhibits, and drinks. Yeah, the FinTech Times has claimed that London is the global headquarters of FinTech innovation, and this convention will be a center of dialogue between established multinationals, innovation firms, startups, governments, and the media. Well, I'm sold. Yeah, of course. Tickets already booked. My my personal favorites and highlights will be this weekend will be the Blockchain Hackathon, where it'll be a competition where teams compete against each other to create an innovative solution that leverages distributed ledger technology in order to make banking and financial services better. Teams can generate crypto payments, unique clearing methodologies, or even something completely different. But the main thing is the winning team is going to get £2,000 and a speaking slot during London FinTech Week which will be next week on Thursday. Thursday is my favorite day out of the Monday through Friday list of awesome stuff. Thursday is going to include the Data Security and Blockchain Conference, where they plan to explore how data is being used in new ways. And it will also host a live hacking demo and hear talks from innovators in the distributed ledger technology industry. And that is where I'm assuming the winner of the Blockchain Hackathon will get their speaking slot. Additionally, in speakers coming, we're going to get to see Rajesh Agrawal, who is the newly appointed London Deputy Mayor for Business, as well as a fintech entrepreneur and innovator, as he co-founded ZenPay and Rational FX. Another speaker will be Christopher Woodlard, board member and director of strategy and competition at the Financial Conduct Authority. He'll be speaking on Wednesday. A graduate of King's College and the London Business School, Woodlard, is responsible for policy, strategy, consumer ideas, and market intelligence at the FCA. So hearing him speak will be a, a pretty big highlight of the entire entire conference and fintech week altogether. So that's what that's what I'm looking for. Well, it definitely definitely sounds uh, sounds like it's going to be interesting. Um, I suppose on the uh, the blockchain stuff is especially, and I heard some some interesting bits earlier this week in conversation with a, a, a pretty major financial. Um, tech and connectivity provider, which was that you know uh, one of the key things around blockchain. And I'll be interested to see whether this uh, is reflected as a, certainly talk about blockchain seems to have been coming more into line with reality rather than the sort of initial high flying predictions for what it could do. But you know that that really the way the best way to sort of implement it will be lots of little wins. You know, introducing very you know blockchain into small parts of a business rather than trying to you know completely transform your business and convert it all that way you'll be able to introduce it into lots of small parts of your business and make very easy quick efficiency savings um, while issues around scalability are um, developed I think that's important as well I think you know there's there's been a lot of assumption around blockchain made uh, where uh, industry sort of gurus have made various predictions about how it's going to revolutionise uh, what we do, and I think uh, at MoneyConf in Madrid um, last month they made a, an excellent point, which was 
if the only thing that we get from blockchain is that it's bringing um, a new generation of people with new ideas into financial services, then we're already onto a winner. Um, I mean, personally, I think we'll get more than that from it. But um, there were a lot of people that had had got to the decision that when they left university or left um, left college, they didn't want to uh, to go into financial services because it was seen these days as a very stuffy. Um, set in its ways profession where there was no appetite for innovation or change in working practices um, and blockchain and, and other advances uh, in financial technology have, have massively changed that and so people who would uh, once have thought I'm only interested in going to a technology company like Google will now look at some of the banking giants again and go actually it's not for, for the pay or the power that I would go there because they weren't interested in that in the first place. They, they want the work-life balance, but they also want to be recognised as innovators. Mm. And it seems that you know, the, the tide has turned on that again and people are looking at financial services after, uh, after they graduate. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think probably part of that as well is, is just simply due um, to banks you know, looking more at how they can innovate. I mean, there's been many years of not really being able to innovate due to regulatory pressure, etc. Um, and that the result of that is that you're seeing a lot more kind of issued things where, you know, non-core stuff is being outsourced, non-competitive things are being utilitized and all that kind of stuff. And that actually, you know, contrary to probably the beliefs of some people that it was taking taking things away from the bank is actually it's, it's giving it the freedom to go and look at where it can really add value and do something new and interesting rather than reinventing the wheel every time to design you know a new EMS or you know uh, commoditized algo that everybody else does um, so I definitely think there's a, a lot of potential um, but obviously as we say the, the, the fintech industry in London you know could potentially be under threat as a result of Brexit hopefully not but um We'll have to wait and see on that, and I'm sure that will be a big part of the discussion next week. Well, I'm afraid that's all uh, that we've got time for this week, but um, I'd like to thank uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Thanks to Connor, Hayley and Joe for joining me today, and we'll see you next time.